This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. And what a bun fight from everyone to be last on Match of the Day. But in my experience, the less exciting the football, the more exciting the podcast or something like that. Manchester United are the star performers by a long way, battering Spurs. Casemiro, Fred and Fernandez just too much in midfield. Hugo Lloris made close to a 1,000 saves as Conte's side falls short against another of the big six. Ronaldo didn't get on, but still made it all about himself. The next best game, probably at Selhurst Park, where Palace come from behind to beat Wolves with Eze, Elise and Zaha, all delivering on the same night. Elsewhere, it was all very binary. Darwin Nunes shows that actually football probably is his sport as Liverpool just about squeezed past West Ham. Miguel Almiron is still taking that Grealish stick personally to give moral high grounds Eddie Howe another home win. There's a slight upswing in the topsy-turvy world of Ralph Hasenhutl. A classic Brighton are good but can't score and the bright lights of West London prove too much for Brentford and Chelsea. All that plus the Ballon d'Or, your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hi, Max. Hello, Johnny Lou. Hello. And hello, Troy Townsend. Hi, Max. Had a lot of questions like this. Jim saying, should Tory cabinet ministers start applying for the Wolves and Bournemouth jobs, given that Premier League managers have greater job security? Brett, not a question, just to say I'll be proudly enjoying my tofu throughout the pod. Um, (laughs) David says, now that the pod is so powerful, it can topple ministers. Is it good for the pod game? If other pods can't compete, then what's the point? I think that's related to me tweeting about Suella Braverman quite, quite shortly before. Uh, she resigned. And Michael says, how upset are Amazon that everyone paid attention to what happened in Westminster rather than the football last night? I don't know, Troy, if they are that upset given Man United aside, it was a it was a dreadful night of football, wasn't it? I'm not going to endorse that match just in case any of the fans of those clubs are listening in for this one. Uh, That's all the fans. Say- all the fans. <laughs> I'll just say that it wasn't a great night for goals. Um, yeah, we were we were really scratching for for entertainment. Amazon, yeah, their first round of matches for the the week, uh, the you know the Premier League, not groundbreaking. Listen, the two main games, Man United, obviously Spurs, which I know we'll discuss, and and then you know Liverpool West Ham was an interesting one as well, wasn't it? So it will it will be interesting to discuss it with everybody else. Uh, yeah, it's a bit like Channel Four getting the England games, then suddenly England just <laughs> falling off a cliff, wasn't it? Yes, Barry. Well, but before we discuss the actual football. Like, I don't really understand why Amazon want it, Amazon want this Premier League these fixtures. I mean, their their coverage is nothing out of the ordinary. They're they're about three minutes behind the action. The, the games keep stopping so the players can buffer for four or five minutes, and the the pictures aren't very good. And isn't the point that? You know, they just want people to sign up to Amazon Prime and then forget they've signed up to Amazon Prime mm. and then they get six quid a month. Although it's not global. Like, you know, in Australia, you don't watch it on Amazon. You know, no, like mm. you, you watch it from the rights holders. So it's just a UK thing. Anyway, let's start Old Trafford. Um, Manchester United were really good. I mean, they, they battered Spurs there, Johnny, didn't they? Yeah, it was probably the most complete performance of, um, of the Ten Hag era so far. And you know, whereas in in a lot of uh, in a lot of their previous games, they've tended to become a little bit bogged down in the final third, and kind of everyone's sort of running towards the centre. There was a real um, there was a real cohesion and a flow and a and a rhythm to them. I mean, Spurs were not great to a, to a large extent. 
United didn't allow them to be great. The the, the pressing, the way they kind of they, the way they kind of pinned Spurs in, won the territorial battle, and they got their fullbacks forward, which is you know once you win the territorial battle and you get the fullbacks forward, Dallow and Shaw had good games. You you are always going to create chances with with that kind of front line, and uh, you know Rashford missed a couple. I think you know it, it could even have been have been more than two. Fernandez seems to have been I think stung by a little bit of the criticism that, that, that he's got recently. Uh, you know, so so you know he's he's he chipped in. Yeah, very 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 encouraging performance for United. They had more shots in the first half uh, than anyone else in a, in a Premier League game this season. And the most Man United have had in the first half since Sir Alex Ferguson. Barry, you did the minute by minute. Who impressed you? Um, Hugo Lloris impressed me. <laughs> <laughs> because, it, and he was probably the only Tottenham player who impressed me because if it wasn't for him, they'd have been absolutely slaughtered. He made some splendid saves. Uh, on the Manchester United side, I thought Fred was very good. I thought uh, Bruno Fernandes was very good. I think Rashford was quite unlucky on a, on another night. He might have had two or three, and uh, Diogo Dalot was was very impressive. And he's a player that I haven't been. I, I wouldn't say I've been unimpressed with him. I just haven't really noticed anything he's done up to now. But he he was very good last night. Casemiro was decent again. the The consensus seems to be that was probably United's best performance under Eric Ten Hag, and I I don't disagree. But I wonder how much you can judge that when you consider just how awful Tottenham were. They were like a non-league team who were having their big day out at Old Trafford in the third round of the Cup and were, you know, sitting back, hoping to soak up pressure and hopefully nick a goal. Um, That didn't happen. Uh, Harry Kane and Youngmin Son were, you know, they might as well not have been on the pitch, really in terms of Spurs going forward. Spurs had this extra man in midfield who was of no advantage to them whatsoever because they were completely overrun. And Antonio Conte, who having said before the game that this was the perfect time for this difficult test for his players and that you were going to Old Trafford was like, you know, going into the monst- monster's den to take him on on the top level of a platform video game. They, they were so meek. And he did absolutely nothing to change anything until nearly 80 minutes were up. So I think he made one substitution on 77 minutes and a couple more on 82. And that was it. It just seemed bizarre. They have very little. They basically have nothing on the bench. It must have been worth you know, taking a punt. I mean, they were getting slaughtered. Uh, I'm not sure whatever the dearth of quality on the bench, it can't have been much worse than what was on the pitch. Troy, how, how much... Before we go into Tottenham and Conte, uh, which I think Barry's done quite quite well there, like like you have to credit Ten Hag, to, you know, because Manchester United there, if they do that, and obviously there's always two teams in a football match, and you have to look at one playing badly, one playing well, and who lets another not play well or not. They just look to be a shape and a style to, to Manchester United that I haven't seen from donkeys. I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to get carried away with Man United's performance. It's the kind of performance we should expect. A club like that should be producing. You know, they're playing a Tottenham side who are very rigid, who have got a plan to sit deep, and they've got the players to be able to to counteract that plan and create chances. This is what Man United should be. They played like it. The best performance for me in a real great game was the performance against Arsenal. Um, That performance for me, and then what happened after that. So I'm not going to get overly excited until we see some consistency from this side, you know, from certain players who turn it on one minute and decide that they can't be bothered the next, you know. But the shape has looked better with Casemiro in there. I will praise him. He wasn't the best player on the park yesterday, but I think he's given them a state, uh, a stability that they haven't had and a reliability to do his job. And I think since a lot of the Man United players, particularly in that area of the park, have just not been doing their job and not been doing it very well. So... I don't know why it's taken him so long to integrate, but, you know, he's in there now and I think he's making people around him play better. Yeah, Shane does say, how did Fred not win the Ballon d'Or? It's the greatest travesty in sport, but he <laughs> he was excellent. On, on to Spurs, Johnny. They have been comprehensively outplayed by Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester United this season. They somehow got a point against Chelsea. I mean, is that their limit, that, that Conte can make them beat all the teams below them, but do nothing against the teams in and around them? 
it's quite a small sample size. I mean, first of all, those those three games were away from home: Chelsea, um, Man United, and Arsenal, and they, they settled into a certain pattern where you know they, they they ended up soaking up a lot of pressure and playing without the ball and, and getting camped in their own half. The, the fact is, Spurs actually aren't as good as any of those teams. They're not as good as City, Liverpool, Arsenal, United on this floor. I don't think they're as good as Newcastle. And a part part of that is kind of Conte's projection. You know, he, he he's been, he's been moaning. All year, basically, about the quality of the squad that he's that he's um, inherited, and and you know haranguing the, the board for not doing more in the transfer market, and it's quite clear that he's he has set his team up to to cover what he feels are, are their, their very significant limitations, and what what that what that ends up doing that that does, that does two things: you end up playing in quite a, a rigid, basically it's it's plan A and it's plan A and it's plan A, and you know you, you don't really have a lot. Beyond, you know, just 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 try and counter, get Son and Kane up there. And the other thing it does is 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 mentally, they look like players who, I, d- I don't know, they they just don't seem to believe in in themselves. So much negativity, so much, um, you know, sideways, pointless sideways passing around the defense. Like they don't expect to have the ball, and they don't feel like they're good enough to have the ball. That's probably, you know, that the, the biggest difference against the biggest teams because they they will punish you if you if you give them sort of sixty possession, sixty possession, and and you know twenty five shots. They are gonna they are gonna find a way through. That's probably you know the pattern of their season against against you know mid table teams. They've been able to. Um, I feel like I've been talking about for about four or five minutes now, but you know I, I feel like I've made all the all, all the. You can you can stop. You've you've made a good point. We we can yeah. carry on. One short I end it, but that. That's how I'm going to end it. Not many panellists self-edit. It's a wonderful thing. If, if, if everybody could, it would be great. John says, was Ronaldo justified in trying to make it inside to catch the 10 o'clock news? <laughs> <laughs> it was. Unless there's something we don't know about, Barry, that is, it seems totally ridiculous. Yeah, it, it looks like a, a fit of petulance. Uh, and look, it's, it, I was thinking about it. It's, it's like I, I remember once years ago I flounced out of a, a WhatsApp group <laughs> over some perceived slight and immediately felt like a massive twat. And I'm sure all my mates were laughing at me. And that's probably what happened there. Maybe he realised, crikey, the penny dropped. This team is better without me. Oh, my God. And, and he's had an existential crisis. Maybe he was really desperate to go to the loo. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Eric Ten Hag didn't seem particularly impressed afterwards. He said, you know, I saw what happened. I haven't spoken to him. I'll deal with it tomorrow. But, yeah, it's not a great look. And to make it all about him on a night when Manchester United have just beaten big rivals so comprehensively is is juvenile. Mm. I think if he did need the loot, he should have walked as if he needed the loo. And then we'd have all perhaps understood. <laughs> and I'm not sure he would. I'm not sure he'd actually look back and think, maybe I'm a massive twat. I just I don't know if Ronaldo has that in his locker. Anyway, Liverpool won West Ham nil. Uh, this game, Troy, was all about Darwin Nunes, wasn't it? It felt like like almost a complete striker's performance, actually. Perfect for him. Uh, the kind of game that he actually needed and, and being the only goal scorer kind of, um, kind of finished it off, to be totally honest. Uh, listen, he's taken his time to get into the Premier League and get up to the pace. And obviously the sending off against Crystal Palace did him no favours at all. And But he, he's getting there. He's getting up to speed. His last couple of performances have been not too bad. You can see him actually like being in that front Liverpool front three now and being the nuisance that they need him to be. But ultimately, when you pay that amount of money, it's goals that you're, you're, you're counted on. And because Haaland has, has started like a house on fire, people are looking at him as if he's a really bad signing. But I think that would have done him the world of good. Um, you know, West Ham are a good side. Let's not take it away. I think this is a more competitive game than the Spurs-Man uh, United game because West Ham, are, you know, they're on the upward trend again. And I think they'll be disappointed that they didn't come away with anything last night. Suchek's chance right at the end. You know, it's a Milner block. It's an Allison save, but it really should be in the back of the net. And they've obviously, obviously, Bowen's had the penalty saved as well. So they'd be massively disappointed. But... As a number nine, as someone who's going to be the vocal point of, you know, Liverpool's side, I think, for the future, it was a massive night for him. And I think he proved a lot of the doubters, you know, wrong. And he can play in the Premier League and score goals in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. good to get your your first totally honest Did I say totally honest? Oh, wow. That's okay, mate. Um, Johnny, Johnny, was there anything you saw from Darwin Nunes that you 
sort of hadn't seen before or 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 is this just part of the nature of football discourse that we write people off and then say they're great next week a bit like we wrote Spurs off like two minutes ago no I think I think the confidence certainly seems to be there and I think he will always suffer from the eye test Nunes because he's such a a gangly uh awkward angular player I think he actually he suffers from from looking a bit like Andy Carroll, and I, I think there's there's some sort of you know <laughs> deep seated trauma amongst amongst a lot of Liverpool fans that, that that they've signed another Andy Carroll. But no, I mean that that's the sort of game he's there to win. You know, the, the game that you, you might actually not really deserve to win, and it's just you know a header, an aerial battle, and it's the only goal of the game. That's what he's uh, you know he he had a he had this volley, didn't he? He had a there was a volley from like 20 yards and it, and it, it comes back to him and he, he he tries again and it shank it basically hits the corner flag and that that is that is the faustian pact that you sign up to when when you sign darwin nunes you know he's he's all about volume and that volume is is not always going to be in terms of goals and and assists uh and shots sometimes it's going to be in terms of like pure chaotic entertainment and you know whether that that, that fits with kind of how how liverpool are you know are, are playing or want to play at the moment? I'm I'm, I'm still not sure, but uh, there 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 are also going to be nights where he wins you games like that. Barry, I'm not sure Troy was gave James Milner quite enough credit for that ridiculous block in the last minute. Oh, I thought it was incredible. At first, I thought Suchek had just pulled the ball wide without any interference, but then the replay, I clocked that Milner had stuck out the leg and and diverted the what would have been a certain goal and uh yeah he's he's just fantastic isn't he um uh, a great advertisement for healthy living like myself <laughs> absolutely right two peas in a very strange pod you and james milner um and actually trent alexander arnold was quite lucky that didn't go in because he'd really lost his man really quite easily in the build-up to that to that moment um jared bone obviously missed the penalty the, the comparison yes. of james milner and barry glendenning has done me for the night so <laughs> <laughs> wow. physical specimens you one's a control experiment and one, and one is what happens when you don't live your life uh, that way paul says is ali mccoy's giving declan rice man of the match in a losing team unique and should it happen more often um i thought it was quite an interesting point troy that that we you know you can be the best player on the pitch and not win yet man of the match is always given to just whoever scored the last goal that the person that's the pundit has seen yeah no i think that's a really good precedent to set i mean it has been done on a few occasions but yeah, we far, far too often stick with the winning side and if someone grabs something late that has done nothing throughout the game, by the way, it's almost like, oh, let's give it to them, you know. Um, so it's a good spot for Mali because, again, Declan proving his worth, proving his quality on the biggest stage. And when you're away from home as well, it shows the, the magnitude of his performance and how he was driving the, that West Ham team on to, to try and, you know, to get something. And I think it, it, it should be happening more often. It... it you know, ultimately, if you're the best player, you're the best player. And I just wonder what some of the pundits are looking at when they give, um, you know, the player of the match. When they give out the trophy, I'm not quite sure what they're looking at half the time when they're dissecting a game, a game that they have obviously commentated on for so long. But it, it almost seems like it's it's just convenience. Well, it's convenient to give it to the winning side. It's convenient to give it to a player on that side. But that is totally disrespecting the performances, the very good performances of some of the, the other players and I think that's really good from McCoy's to do that, to be totally honest. It, oh, I've done it again, but never mind. Uh, McCoy's to do that um, because it then shows the quality of the game. I like that. It shows the quality of the game and the quality of the opposition. I just want to mention John Abrahams, who um, the Lancashire captain. I think it was the 1984-85 Benson and Hedges Cup final who won the the, the Player of the Match award uh, for despite not scoring a run or taking a wicket. It's one, it's one of my favourite man of the match. He won it for his captaincy, for his inspirational captaincy. And I think there should be, should be more awards like that. Diogo Jota is likely to be out of the World Cup uh, after suffering a calf muscle injury uh, in the game against Manchester City. Jurgen Klopp was in the dugout yesterday. He's been charged with a breach of FA Rule E3, which covers comments which are improper, which bring the game into disrepute, which are threatening, abusive, indecent or insulting. He apologised for his reaction in his post-match comments. He's got until Friday to answer the charge. Do you think you might as well, you know, if a player can get sent off and banned for the next game, it seems odd that, you know, the manager has a few more days 
to to answer that charge. I don't know what you think, Baz. Yeah, it doesn't really make much of a difference, does it? I mean, most of the work is done away from the touchline. I did notice actually when uh, West Ham got the spot kick yesterday, I was looking to see would Jurgen lose his mind <laughs> at the touchline, but he was pointedly very calm and not in any way aggressive towards the linesman or the fourth official. He's had a lot of nonsense to put up with the last few days with these anonymous briefings from City coming out, someone at City briefing favoured journalists, client journalists who've been writing all sorts of rubbish about Jurgen Klopp. Uh, And there's talk he may be suing one of the broadsheets because they apparently described him as xenophobic, which... He's many things. I, I, I suspect uh, he, he is anything but a xenophobic. And uh, interestingly, um, you know, after those pretty vile chants from the City fans, and I phrased it really badly actually on the last pod where I, I went down that ridiculous route of, you know, every club has fans like this, it's a tiny minority. Like That's irrelevant, isn't it? The chants were pretty disgusting. Um, I don't know how you stop it, but one way of stopping it would be for that those the the club that those fans support coming out and really criticising, you know, that they're not going to listen to people saying this these chants about, but they might listen to their own club. As far as I know, City haven't called it out, right? And that is a really important part of this process. If 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 your fans do something bad, you as a club have to call it out. The fans are going to listen to you more than they listen to anybody else, whether they listen to them or not. You know, this is not the first time, and it won't be the last time. There are clubs that know that they've got a section of fans that, you know, sing songs that, you know, in this day and age, they, they're never right anyway, but they've been accepted and allowed. And obviously we hear them on the television or if you're in the stadium, we hear it and no one does anything about it. This is the clubs and the their police forces that they work with being proactive and identifying people um, and then going in and, and eliminating those people from, from the terraces. Until they start doing that, the fear of clubs to get involved with their fan bases and, and you know, oh, we don't want to upset them. What do you mean don't want to upset them? They're upsetting so many people with, with the chanting. They know that there's no action against them, so they continue to chant. So this is the Premier League, the, the English Football League, the police forces, the clubs, all coming together to eliminate it. We have chants all over the country. Chelsea, Spurs, West Ham, Arsenal, name them all. Man City, Liverpool, Man United, name them all. So actually, it's a large majority that are getting away with these chants during match days and football and the police force turn a blind eye to it because it's mass chanting. So if there's something really needs to be done, it needs to be done right across the board rather than highlighting it because of a high profile game, um, you know, where, where you know, it, it, all the conversation comes out about what's gone on around it. So actually, there's an opportunity here for all the police forces and the clubs to work together and be more proactive in this space. Apart from it being the right thing, you know, what, how are we going to get clubs to do that? Premier League have got stamped down on it. Premier Leagues have got to tell the clubs, it's, it's, it's do what, what is right or, or you'll face a sanction or you'll face some kind of fine. You know, we've got the most high-tech cameras around around our football grounds now, and I will not have it that they can't identify people because there's, I don't know, more than three of them that are singing a song. Identify people. Give the stewards the power, by the way, to identify them as well without fear, and then deal with it. It shouldn't be that difficult, but when it's things like this, we always create a difficulty around it where we don't have any outcomes. And it's disgrace. it's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. So football needs to tidy itself up and those owners of the clubs and, and the fan bases, uh, you know, there's there's all these support groups as well. We've got to start coming together to eliminate it from our grounds. I, I couldn't agree more with you, Troy, but until right at the end there, you were talking as if the Premier League and the clubs are some separate entity. They're self-governing and they clearly just can't be bothered with the hassle. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Listen, I'm just saying that the Premier League need to identify it, come down hard on the clubs, give them a period of time to identify people and, and to make sure that, you know, if if they are entering the ground and if they are singing songs like that, um, that they deal with it or else the Premier League have the final say. But I don't think we're, I don't think we're anywhere near that stage. That's the worst thing. We're nowhere near that stage. So it means that people can confident, confidently go into a ground and know that if they sing a song that... 
I don't even want to say about the songs that are being sung, to be totally honest, that they're going to get away. There's no action. There's no countability. It's fine. It's all right. We're in a mob. It's okay. Don't worry about it. They'll never get us all. That can't be the attitude that we have in and around stadium, surely. No, I agree with you. Uh, All right, that'll do for part one. Uh, Part two will begin at Selhurst Park. I'm Grace Dent. And I'm back. Friends, it's time for your fourth helping of comfort eating from The Guardian. Join me with more celebrity guests like Don O'Porter, Graham Norton and Mallory Blackman as we throw the fridge doors wide open on the comfort foods that have seen them through. You'll notice I'm talking a lot. That's because I'm, I'm hoping somewhere along the way I don't have to eat it. <laughs> oh, the, the level of devilment in your face. Comfort Eating returns on the 18th of October with new episodes released every Tuesday. Comfort Eating with me, Grace Dent, is supported by Ocado. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, 17th of November at Earth in Hackney, a live show. Me, Barry, Lars Sividson, Ellis James, uh, via live stream around the world as well. You can watch on Catch Up if you can't watch it live. Um, please come and we'll have a beer with you afterwards in the pub. And hopefully by the end, Barry will be singing about Troy Townsend's luggage again. Um, uh, go to theguardian.com slash Guardian Live uh, if you want to come to that. Crystal Palace 2, Wolves 1. What a shame, Johnny, that Edward's overhead kick didn't go in. It would have been, on a two days of sort of pretty abject football, like the absolute standout moment. My God, that would have been such a good goal. I mean, I'd, I'd, Palace in that, in that, particularly in that second half, they they made me say something which I've never said before in my life. I was, I was just watching at home on telly, and they, they made me exclaim something which I've never said before in my life and, and probably never will again. They made me say, hot damn. <laughs> I would sit there go, hot oh, damn, and I, 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 and then I checked myself. I'm like, I, that's, that's not a phrase I normally use, but it's a, it's a, it's a testament to. I mean, just, some of their football is so good. Just um, you know, the, the way they were, they you know, Zaha, who I, I learned on the broadcast is almost thirty, which which kind of scares me a little bit. But you know, he's he's right in the, the, the peak of his form at the moment. You have Elise, you have Eze, you have you have Edward. And they just, they look like a team that, you know, that is clicking, that just totally, uh, are, you know, they're linking up with each other. They are, they are attuned to each other's rhythms. And, and yeah, you know, they still concede sloppy goals and, you know, they can, they, they still look a bit shaky at the back and, and, you know, they have, they have bad days. And, but when, when it all comes together, they are honestly one of the, the best teams in the Premier League to watch. And Troy, that is the point of a mid to lower Premier League side, isn't it? To, for your fans to want to go and watch because they could, they have the potential to be really exciting. To be fair, that they got booed off at half time. <laughs> it wasn't a great first <laughs> half. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Wolves were very good first half. Um, Adama Traore scores a header. Um, I don't know how they've allowed him to do that, but something clicked. Uh, Jonathan's right. Something clicked, and you know it's the second game on the spin at home. You know they turned the lead result around. Uh, Something clicked and they just, I don't know, they just went into this. This is the palace that I know. The second half is the palace that I know. And I think it's everything that Patrick Vieira wants from his side and including all those forward-thinking players at the same time. They just all flicked the switch and turned the gear. Zaha came off the line. He said it in his interview afterwards. He said, I just came and played inside. I didn't want to hug the touchline. And when he came and played inside, no one knew how to pick him up. And that lights the touch paper for Eze, for Elise, for Edouard. And all of a sudden, 
They were so expressive and so expansive. Um, it was such a good second half from them and, and Wolves just could didn't have an answer to it. Although I think Wolves should have had a pen. I don't know if that's controversy or not, but I thought, I don't know what's going on with VAR and handballs, but for me, Mark Gaye... I think it hits his knee. Doesn't did it, it hit his knee? knee? I think it is. What, yeah. and then onto his arm? Or did it not hit his it, arm? I, or not? I don't think it hit... I th- they really even, slowed it down sure, on match of the day. Sure, they really you? slowed it down on match. Like, clearly, you didn't get to the end. <laughs> they really slowed it down, and uh, it just comes off his knee, I think. But first, yeah, when I first saw it, I thought that should okay. have been a penalty. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I guess the point is, Barry, is getting those three players specifically, but uh, the team around them, to do that slightly more often. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we could probably all agree Wolves are having a bad season, and the Crystal Palace fans I know. Guys like Kevin Day, Bruce Millington, I see them and hear them talking about how entertaining Palace are to watch. And you would assume Palace are having a good season. But when this game kicked off, there was only a point between them in the table, which I found quite odd. But um, yeah, when when they get things right, they're a joy to watch. And I mean, Wolves, come on, Adama Traore scores once in an absolute blue moon <laughs> it's such a waste of an Adama Traore goal to, to go ahead when he scores and not at least get a point from the game yeah I suppose never hit the post with that free kick but then I think Decore hit the post in the, in the first half as well for Palace uh, interim manager Steve Davis uh, he took charge of the game that's probably his last one we're not sure lots of speculation about Nuno coming back uh, he's 10 to 1 Let's go to St. James's Park. Uh, Newcastle have won 10 in the last 14 at St. James's Park. Banana Zeb says, Miguel Almiron, name a footballer with a better smile. Um, uh, Bakayo Gold says, has a pod member ever drastically improved their life after being slandered by another pod member, i.e. Uh, Almiron and, and Jack Grealish? It's a brilliant goal, Johnny, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It was, um, and, and they, were, they, were, they were really ticking at um, around, around that time. Just, you know... Um, I know we've talked on this pod about about Bruno Gimaresh, but what what a what a player, what a just a delightful player to watch. And Almiron is is just one of those play, you know, is one of those players who has just really come on in that team. There's something about the atmosphere and, and kind of around around the dressing room or, or, or whatever, or the feeling around the club and the trust that that Howard's put in him. Um, I think I think he scored five goals this season and. You know, it, it, it's Almiron, it's Joe Linton, it's it, you know Fabian Share, just all these all these players who are, you know, they're not new players. They're not they're you know they, these are not sort of you know blue chip signings. They they are being improved in this team, and um, you know I, I, it's become a bit of a cliche to say like well Eddie Howe's done a great job, you know the uh, but but he, you know there is there is a real success of coaching there, and and you know there's obviously there's obviously the whole other side which has been you know discussed, but. Um, Purely on a, on a footballing level, there is something quite quite interesting and exciting happening there. Yeah, there was one move Troy Gemmerish was central to. I, I, I think he got the shot away. He I can't did. remember, but yeah. it was just like, wow, this is proper flowing football, isn't it? I mean, I'm not sure if I, I should be saying this, but I was pleading for it to go in because it was an absolutely great move. Um, and Jonathan's right about his qualities. His qualities are off the scale, and and if he had tucked that away, then um, the plaudits would have been amazing. But yeah, Newcastle played really well. Um, Everton started okay. I, I was at the game at Spurs on Saturday as well, and you know Frank is setting them up in in a very similar way that uh, Antonio Conte is setting Spurs up. They sit deep, they soak up, they try and play on the counter. Um, have they got enough quality going forward at the moment? You know, after after unbeaten in six, they're now free on the spin and you can see the cracks in it and the cracks in it means that the defence that have done so well is under a little bit more pressure and a little bit more pressure and, and Newcastle scored when they were on top and that's what you've got to do and from there, the, 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 the stadium was going crazy and if they had gone two up at that time, I don't think Everton could have said much. But yeah, Frank's probably now waiting until the January transfer window because I think they need a playmaker. They're playing three in the middle there that are competitive. They get in your faces. But if you pass round them, then they almost become like pointless almost. And they've got to find someone that connects the midfield to the front for the front three uh, for them to, to gain points this season. But Newcastle are definitely on the up. Um, and, you know, if they keep going, 
who knows what the end of the season could look like. But Eddie Howe is proving his qualities with that side. A lot of the players that Steve Bruce had, by the way, um, and wasn't really performing at all in that team. Is that person who could connect the midfield and the strike force called Andros? No, because he'd be one of the strike force. So, um, and he's not back for a little yeah, while. Yeah, I know. Still, it, so. it didn't quite. It didn't quite. <laughs> it work, didn't, did quite. It? it didn't quite work. I know. It was worth doing, but it didn't quite work. It was worth a yeah, try, I, but I it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, Frank Lampard said afterwards, Barry, that he was really pleased with the performance. I thought it was a pretty even game, but they only had one attempt and Newcastle, I think, had 16. And I think their highlight was Neil Mopai coming on in the wrong colour <laughs> socks, as far as I could tell. Yeah, Newcastle deserved to win. I don't think there's any question about that. I did think that shove on Anthony Gordon that led to the, the, the flare-up uh, between him and Kieran Trippier and then assorted others, I thought that probably was a penalty but on the balance of play I think Newcastle were unquestionably the better team and the worthy winners the thing is Barry Anthony Gordon's getting a little bit of a reputation as well um, you know inside the box in and around the box and the last thing a player like that whose creativity levels are really good by the way and he gets himself into various little situations because of his pace is to, to keep doing that because once he's got that reputation then referees look at it you know opposition players look at it and I think that's why the Newcastle players were so upset with him I agree with you could have gone either way but he, he needs to watch himself a little bit Anthony Gordon David says I was wondering if a few minutes might be spent to consider the emergence of Eddie Howe's conscience and morality great that he's thinking about setting a good example <laughs> for the children uh, when I asked about um, I think Klopp and and sort of behaviour on the touchline he said I'm very aware uh, that I'm going to be looked at by millions and millions of people, especially children. I think you have an expectation to make sure the game is upheld in the right way and with the right spirit. Um, uh, Barry. <laughs> Why did you have to come? <laughs> Philippe's <me>? not here. <laughs> oh, Philippe. Yeah, Philippe. Uh, there's a clip on Twitter that's worth digging out. It's Philippe on uh, the Irish radio station off the ball last night, in which he was as angry as I've ever seen him in his condemnation of, of Eddie Howe. And this is a very good way of me deflecting and not having to incur the wrath of the Salty Tears Brigade from Tyneside. But, uh, yeah, he, he said that Eddie Howe is a, a dwarf in the face of the big man that Jurgen Klopp is, and how dare he, uh, because, you know, try and take the moral high ground because he's a tool being used by the murderous Saudi state and he has a point uh, another point I'd make is that Eddie Howe's assistant is Jason Tyndall who <laughs> can be a very obnoxious and obstreperous touchline presence so you know before he starts hurling stones out of his, gla his glass house maybe he should get his own in order but yeah, what Jurgen Klopp did was wrong um, but you know wasn't the end of the world yeah, I know I didn't like Klopp's behaviour. It was interesting. We talked before about what Eddie Howe should or shouldn't or can or can't say. I've, I've been thinking about this a bit, a, bit, a bit recently. And, you know, in our with us, in our job, our job is is to kind of, it's, to, you know, it's to praise and to criticise and to assess. And, uh, you know, we we suffer no, you know, real, unless you count like, you know, thousands of, of bots on Twitter, we don't really suffer negative consequences for, for speaking our mind. In, in fact, it's what we're, we're encouraged to do. Anyhow, is, is, if, he, if he comes out and slags off his owners, he's out of a job, you know, and he's, he's unemployed again. And I think there is, without what did, you know, without, you know, judging you know, without passing judgment on on his choices. Well, I, I will pass judgment on his choices. I think they're crap. But I think I can see why he. Um, I, I can see why he's so oblivious to this. This is his like his whole world is built around. You know, you you might call it this kind of fantasy world uh, of you know football being this 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 force for good. Football being you know football providing for his family. Football you know as as this obsession that has uh, that has consumed him ever, ever since he was a kid. And and you know and his his whole existence has been about trying to get to the centre of that world, and to admit that this world is actually you know this this kind of evil evil fantasy you know facade uh, would be totally shattering to his his worldview in a way that it, it isn't to us. So I I, I kind of I, I kind of understand why why you choose to, to you know just to 
to drown everything out, you know, and, and, and to filter out all the background noise, because it's basically, it would be, it would basically take away a central plank of his identity and, and his reason for living. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, that, that was the point I wanted to make. As an interesting story about Eddie Howe. I think the first ever trans person to work at a football club is someone called, a girl called Sophie Cook, who was the photographer at Bournemouth. And she says that Eddie Howe was incredibly supportive, which is like absolutely amazing. I think she transitioned while she was a photographer at the club. And so she went... Eddie Howe, like, invited her in, welcomed her in, you know, just sort of got in front of the squad and said, this is Sophie, you know, carry on everybody, and was amazingly supportive. And I suppose it's that idea with a lot of these arguments and debates that we have is that it's, it's, you know, there is a sort of distance factor where, like, we care about things that are next door to our next door to us or you know you can be have a sort of your morals can exist in a certain sense with your next door neighbours but if something's 10,000 miles away it's a slightly different thing or that being a human is being a human is complicated right yeah I mean it's, it's a really uh, Paul Doyle did a uh, ex of this parish did a, did a, a really good interview with her which is um, which is worth looking at um, but you know I, I just find this this, this focus on how on, on Eddie Howe which you know, it's understandable. He's the public face of the organization, but he has he has no real power. Uh, you know, it's not you know he can't he can't really do anything. Uh, he, he's certainly not going to you know bring. It's it's like you know it's like having a go. It's like venting your spleen at Hitler's receptionist. You know, it's it's he's 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 not the guy who's gonna who's gonna change who's gonna change anything. And it's not you know it's it's not uh, I think realistic to to expect any, anything different from him. To the Vitality Stadium, Bournemouth nil, Southampton won. Stateside Saint says, what does Barry make of Southampton winning and holding a clean sheet? Hashtag Ralph in. Cheers from the States. It's their first clean sheet in 23 games, apparently, which seems a remarkable statistic. I still don't know what to make of them. Uh, I thought Bournemouth was the better side, to be honest, but Southampton defended well, rode their luck a little bit. And I, th- I thought Bournemouth probably should have had a penalty. And and quite interesting, it was a Salisu handball from a junior Stanislas Cross, and I'd completely forgotten about the existence of junior Stanislas, so I sort of checked, and he's, he hadn't played since August, I think, he presumably might have been injured, but um, he's 32 now, so he, he should probably be called senior Stanislas <laughs> at this stage, because he just seems to have been around for as long as I can remember. But um, yeah, hats off to Junior, who's still playing Premier League football. I, I, he had, I'd completely forgotten about him. But um, look, any win away for Southampton is a good win, and and because they don't get many of them. So who've they got? Uh, they've Arsenal on Sunday. That's a toughie. Let's see how they get on with that. All right, that'll do for part two. Part three, uh, we will look at uh, the goalless draws. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Phil now saying the tease for this part of we're going to just talk about goalless draws may not have kept as many people listening as I would have hoped. Anyway, um, we've been nominated for Best Radio Programme. Uh, no, that's well, me and Barry have been nominated for that. But that's not what I'm doing right now. We've been nominated for Best Podcast, haven't we? At the Football Supports Association Awards. Go to the fsa.org.uk. There's a bit that says awards. Click on that and you'll get your survey 
Commentator of the Year uh, from the pod, Robin Cowan. Newspaper of the Year, The Guardian. Online Media of the Year, David Squires. Writer of the Year, uh, Barney and Susie Rack are both nominated. And Football Weekly is nominated, as is uh, the warm-up for me and Baz and Charlie Baker. So, you know, uh, it's very hard to retain these titles. We'd appreciate your votes. Brentford nil, Chelsea nil. Uh, I stole Christian's joke for the uh, intro. Was the Brentford-Chelsea game goalless because the players were too distracted by the bright lights of West London? Um, uh, you know, the best moment of this game from a pod point of view was clearly Ethan Pinnock's clearance uh, or his block. You're nodding, Barry. Paul says, was the Ethan Pinnock block better than the Ethan Pinnock goal? Tim Henman, probably not that one, says, Ethan Pinnock was sensational tonight. Does Barry feel personally responsible for his meteoric rise? No, I don't. I, I really worry that Ethan Pinnock's going to to hear about his cult hero status on the podcast and presume we're taking the piss because we're not. But I'm certainly not. And he had a nightmare return from injury. I was wondering, you know, would Thomas Frank drop him or keep him in the team? And he he did, and and he's playing very well now. I thought Brentford were unlucky in this game, to be honest. Thought they were the better side in a game that could have gone either way. But yeah, I I thought Brentford were were worth their points certainly. Yeah, look, both goalkeepers played very well, didn't they? Um, my favourite moment of the game was seeing quite how much faster Armando Brozier is than Ben Mee. <laughs> ben Mee's had a 20-yard start and Brozier got in front and Mee possibly pulled him down. And then Brozier's got to square it and, and Chelsea score. I, I, Johnny, do you have any salient thoughts on this football match? Well, somebody told me to... Uh, I, I didn't I didn't catch up with it um, until later. And somebody said Kepa was really good. So I watched it, you know, expecting to see like a, a catalogue of spectacular saves. And and I was I was actually quite disappointed. Most of those saves were quite regulation, but he's, uh, his, his distribution seemed, seemed, seems a lot better and he's, he seems pretty confident. So that that's good for him. Great. Over. Stuart said, would it be better entertainment for the managers to interview each other after the games, not before the games? This is uh, Amazon getting Thomas Frank and Graham Potter on to chat to each other. Troy, did you like that idea? Yeah, it's, it's all right. I think they were both very nervous about the question, the one question that they had to ask ask each other in front of our audience. It was a bit unusual, but it's a nice touch. I'm not sure we're going to get it in all games, but yeah, it was just a, it's a nice touch to see some interactions before the two managers went to war or their two teams went to war as such. I guess you have to try these things, don't you? But you sort of think, Barry, the only time be worth doing it is when there are managers who definitely won't talk to each other before <laughs> the game. Yeah, um, there's a good interview in the, the Times uh, where Matt Dickinson, Thomas Frank has moved into the house on the sa- in, into a house on the same street as Matt Dickinson. So Matt Dickinson took him to the local for a couple of pints and an interview. And that, it's it's worth a read, but um, my my first impression when I saw that is, oh, Dicko's doing yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking as well. <laughs> Blimey. Uh, Brighton nil, Forest nil. Um, uh, look, Brighton have had 54 shots in their last three games, Johnny, and haven't scored a goal. And we've 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 had this discussion before. Yeah, I mean, it was the um, there was the the first goal under Deserbi was the the three all draw at Liverpool. And when you you also look at what you did in uh, Sassuolo, you know, we, we were all expecting this fiesta of entertainment. And I think they've had three three blanks since then. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's quite a familiar problem for Brighton uh, that you know they. they they are very, very good at progressing the ball, you know, through the thirds, as they say. But it's it's in that final third where you know they, they come unstuck or, or need a little bit of luck. Uh, I thought Forest were better. Uh, Forest looked a, a little bit more organised than, than they have done, um, and that's that's good for them. Fulham, Villa, and Leicester Leeds uh, are on Thursday night tonight. And uh, we'll talk about them if they're fascinating on Monday's pod. Well done, Karen Benzema and Alexis Pateas for winning the Ballon d'Or. Uh, Benzema's first ever one, scored 44 and 46. Helped Real Madrid win the Champions League and La Liga. Uh, Sadio Mane was second, Kevin De Bruyne third. Does anyone care passionately about the Ballon d'Or? Is it a sign that we're... Should we have to care because otherwise young people won't listen to the pod anymore? No, the players really care. Players, the, the players really, I mean, Mbappe and Neymar and, and you know, lots of other players have kind of made it their their obsession. Rightly or wrongly, I, I don't know. Uh, I, what, what I quite like, um, what I quite like, is that um, there was there was a load of um, like talk about in, in this country about how Beth Mead was was robbed, and uh, I think she lost by one. I think I think she lost by one point or one vote to Pateus. 
and I, I just I quite like that there there is an, a whole a whole new Beth Mead revenge tour is now uh, is now in the offing. Uh, she she will she will be stung by this unforgivable slight and uh, and and lead us to, to the World Cup next year. And even worse than that, there was I'm not sure was it the FIFA website or uh, probably wasn't, but some magazine or newspaper or website had a picture of. Uh, Vivian Mead oh, and, yes, and yeah. guest. Yes, yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and the, the guest being Beth Mead, who just finished second. Uh, yeah, Beth took that in good spirits on Twitter. It was quite funny to see her reply. Um, uh, Arsenal won 5 1, by the way. Arsenal women at Leon, which is a great result uh, in the Champions League. Um, the Guardian Women's Football Weekly will analyse that in much more detail. Um, and you know, we had so many of these questions. I'm, yes. I'm not so sure there's much more detail they can they can go into, Max. <laughs> you reading the Listen, score. Troy's got to get a train in one minute, hasn't he? Um, so many questions. Like, John, who would make a better chief whip? Sean Deitch, Martin Keown, or AN other? Kieran, why did VAR not intervene in the Commons manhandling? Surely Reese Mogg had to have seen red. Oh, yes. Thank you for all those political-based... Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. this is very much one of those podcasts where we'll finish recording and then discover that Liz Truss has gone <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> moments afterwards. I mean, is, is this stuff Is this stuff funny? I mean, I, I find, you know, some of it I find quite funny, but also I, part of me feels right. like it, there's, there's some incredible privilege involved in having a laugh at this at this stuff. Like this... we, we... Well, there is. I, I find it funny because I'm not struggling to to heat or to eat I'm, I'm not on my uppers i'm not worrying about how to pay for christmas you know but it's 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 awful it's- yeah but isn't the point no no i no i don't just i don't i, I obviously uh, you make a lot of sense isn't the part of the point that people use humor and these difficult stages and also people come to this podcast for escapism from you know, like shit things that are happening in their existence that's certainly the the yeah i totally i yeah. totally get that too and that, that that is really that is really true and really valid uh so i just i just kind of conflicted about it and that will do uh for today's podcast thank you johnny thanks thanks troy thanks as always max cheers barry thank you uh, football weekly is produced by joel grove with silas gray our executive producer is danielle stevens and we'll be back on monday This is The Guardian.